fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode number 83, and this time around, my guest is a world-class photographer who also has really deep roots in the comedy industry. Before we get into it, though, I do want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube and you would prefer audio only for whatever reason, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other places like that. If you're hearing my voice on one of those platforms right now, though, and you didn't realize that there was a visual side to this show, please come check it out here on YouTube. If you cross over to this side of things, I'd really appreciate it if you consider hitting that subscribe button. You don't have to, obviously, but I love making this show and I love connecting with new people. So if you're just jumping in now or you've supported me for a long time, thank you so much because it means the world to me. Finally, if you want to reach out to me, maybe with a cool guest idea or some general feedback about the show, you can hit me up on social media or send me an email at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. Either way, if you reach out, let me know if you have any interest in one of these holofoil stickers with the show's logo on it, and I'll send you one free of charge. As I mentioned off the top, the guest for this episode is an amazingly talented photographer. I'm talking about Mr. Troy Conrad. If that name does not ring a bell, I guarantee you you've seen his work, especially if you're a fan of stand-up comedy. He has taken photos of some of the greatest and most hilarious people in the world and really, really captures them in their element in a way that is just electrifying. You have to check out his work. But what I was delighted to learn upon researching for this episode and, and speaking with Troy was that he actually has his own roots in comedy. He performed as well as co-created amazing shows, one of which with Paul Provenza called Setlist, Stand Up Without a Net, which you also have to go on YouTube and find it right now because it's an amazingly gnarly concept of stand-up comedians getting on stage and just having a prompt and then just having to improv a stand-up set. Uh, featured people like Robin Williams, TJ Miller, uh, Maria Bamford, the list goes on and on. So check that out, but check out this podcast first. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed getting to know Troy. Peace out. Uh, well, man, I wanted to start off just by saying thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me because uh, it, I'm really, really just enamored by your your photography. And now I'm learning more about you and I'm really loving everything I'm reading. So uh, just thanks right off the top. Oh, right on, man. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. How are you? I'm doing really well. Yeah. I've been uh, very happy and busy. I like being, I like, uh, I like staying really busy. Before the pandemic started, I was doing, uh, I was doing 90 to 100 hour weeks and uh, slowly getting back to that. So I love it. Yeah, well, man, it's good to be productive. I know they say uh, idle hands are the devil's playground, and I found that to be somewhat true in my experiences. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I mean, the look, uh, we, we all do better when we're, when we're busy and we have objectives and we're working towards something. That's just kind of how things work. So, uh, yeah, try to keep that in practice. Um, I wanted to actually start off with a couple sort of full disclosure things. The first one is just, uh, my grandpa had a stroke last weekend and, um, I mean, he's 98. It's, it's his time. He's had a good life and all that, but they're currently in a spot where they've moved into palliative and I'm kind of just waiting for that call from my mom. So oh, wow. if I seem a little scatterbrained or anything, it's uh, you know, I've got a lot on my mind lately. Oh, so. wow, man. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Hey, you know, this is life. Uh, like I said, it's, he's lived a long one and, and a good one, but, uh, it doesn't take away that existential crisis that happens when anybody, uh, you know, passes away or anything like that. And the waiting is really just kind of a brutal, not, not to get too heavy off the top, but you know, no, I get it. Uh, I get it. Wow. 
there's no way I was going to cancel because I've been looking forward to this uh, ever since we set it up. But so that's the first thing. And the second thing I got to admit, I was very aware of your, your photography work from your Instagram and everything you do at the comedy store, but I had no idea you yourself did comedy. So I'm going to just put that out there because I've, I've discovered a treasure trove of stuff looking and researching you. It's been a really fun process. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it's, I have a weird life. Like, uh, some people don't know that, like I have friends and people know me from different things. And sometimes those communities are separate. Um, but the people that I like, so friends that I've had in LA for more than 10 years know me as a standup and the people that know me after that, which is when, um, people started knowing me as a photographer they have no idea that I ever did stand up and nor, nor am I someone who's on all the time. So I don't come across as funny. So I like that. It's like a covert, uh, <laughs> you're undercover. Covert, yeah. Yeah. I'm an undercover comic. Yeah. So I just started doing stand up again in, um, earlier this year and I've been having a complete blast with it. Like it makes me go, why did I leave this? But I left, I, I took a break for a good reason. That was the focus fully on photography. How long has the hiatus been since the last time you were on stage? It's been about 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the stuff I was, I sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I did, sorry. I did, I did about 20 years on the road and then the last 10 years I focused on photography. So this would be my 30th uh, year in standup if I had not taken that break, which is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, you know, not like you post a lot about, you don't post any of your old sets or anything on your Instagram. It's very photography focused. So I feel like I must not be the only one, you know, who's, who's made that mistake. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't, I probably underuse even Instagram. That's the only thing I really do social media wise. Mm. Uh, they let me, they let me post to my Facebook. So I don't ever have to go on Facebook. I put in, uh, I, I brag that I put in about five minutes of uh, Facebook time added up per year. So I try to check it only two or three times a year. Um, and it lets me focus on just my photography and I don't post my personal life too much. And right now stand up is part of my personal life. It's not part of my professional life or mm. my, my work right now. It's, you know, it's uh, I'm doing it for fun and I'm going to keep doing it when I have time. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's not like you're not constantly surrounded by a ton of inspiration with the people that you're uh, taking pictures of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I get to be around the best comics in the world all the time and it's pretty amazing. So let's go back to when you were just a little guy, what sunk its teeth into you first photography or comedy? Oh, comedy, comedy, comedy since I was a kid. Yeah. Since I was a kid, I wanted to do stand up. And, uh, I finally did it when I was in college and, uh, in Phoenix where I grew up and, uh, I just, you know, I loved it. It's, it's something I didn't, I don't think I ever, I didn't think of ever not doing it. If that makes sense. Like, it's just a thing that seemed to be, you know, like when I was a kid, I watched, uh, Steve Martin and Stephen Wright oh, yeah. and George Carlin. My dad made me watch. Uh, I remember my dad made me watch George Carlin and Stephen Wright and uh, I didn't want to. Um, he made me stay up late and watch them on SNL. And, and then, you know, then those guys grabbed me. My first was Steve Martin. So um, all that stuff sort of stuck with me and 
you know, it's one of those things I always want to do. But photography, when I, I, so I created a show called Set List. And when that uh, happened, we needed more photos. So I got more serious about photography, really mm. just to photograph the show. And um, what happened was I, uh, you know, people liked the images I was taking. So they, uh, hey, can you two do my show? Can you do my show? And it really just happened organically from there. That's awesome. Yeah, I did want to bring up Setlist because I this is something I can't believe I was not aware of because I had seen Paul's show, uh, the the Green Room. Uh, so you know, I'm yeah, just Paul I Provenza's think it, show, yeah. yeah, Paul Provenza, um, and it was about the same time as I was getting divorced from my first marriage, so maybe that's why I was a little preoccupied. But this this was totally my jam; is I couldn't stop watching these videos, and I can't believe that I didn't already know about it. But um, yeah. yeah, I did want to talk to you about first of all, when you met Paul and when you guys came up with this concept, because for my viewers who might not be aware of it as well, it's very cool. It's, it's stand-up comedians having to improv on the spot based off of these prompts from a TV right behind them. And it's, it seems scary as hell, but also exciting. Yeah, it is scary as hell for everyone who does it. That's what's great is you get to see comics in their zone of fear and then they come out on top of it. And it's, uh, it's a great metaphor for life, but it's, uh, it's a way to bring that to stand-up. So, yeah, um, I met Paul Provenza in such an interesting way. My buddy Rick Overton, who's a brilliant comic, he ended up booking a movie role, and he had to cancel a comedy festival. And he goes, hey, can you do the comedy festival in my place? I was doing a show at the time called The Comedy Jesus Show. Um, and I did. I not only did the show, that became my DVD, that, that set. Um, and... Paul Provenza was there. We met, we hung out for that whole festival and hit it off right away. Um, such a great dude. And, uh, and then I helped him with some green room stuff, like just, you know, whatever I, I, I did a little bit in the background on green room. And then uh, around that time, I, I loved the, I was doing stand-up that had a lot of risk elements to it. So basically I, uh, I brought that into form with set list. So I like to do uh stand-up where the, it's kind of like a solo improv stand-up. So audiences would be yelling things that I'd give them a, uh, like a, uh, sort of some parameters. And then I would do characters and improvise within that. And there was no way to cheat that system. And they knew that that was great is that is you have to make it transparent where they know that you are not gaming anything or planting people and all that. So it was very obvious. That was also the part of the comedy Jesus show that I did. So um, basically, so I, uh, I uh, said, Paul, Hey, come do this show. I had a lot of my friends doing the show. Paul did it. And he goes, he goes, when I asked him to do it, he said, uh, I go, Hey, do you want to come do the show? It's improvised based on really terrible nonsense topics that make no sense. And they're stupid. And he goes, that sounds like the worst idea ever I'm in. And that was, <laughs> then, then the rest is history. We took the show around the world, became a TV show on sky Atlantic, um, with amazing, it was half, uh, famous U S comics and half famous UK comics mm. and, uh, showed on sky Atlantic after, which is their HBO over there. Uh, it showed after boardwalk empire. Oh, nice. And a good slot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good slot to have. And then, um, you know, and so we, 
we've been doing the show. We still do the show. Um, just not as much because uh, we've all gotten busy with other projects, but it's still out there and, and running. So, um, cool. I, it never aired in Canada. Maybe that's why I didn't see it. It did not air in Canada. Okay. No, but we did, we did have Canadian comic John Doerr on the show. Of course. Yeah. I saw that one as well. Yeah. He's been on this show. Uh, yeah. No, it, it, I wanted to ask you if it was really hard to get people, convince them to come on that just due to the, you know, the parameters involved. It's not your typical stand-up set. Some people might be extremely uncomfortable trying something like that. Yeah. So I will say everybody's extremely uncomfortable, but big credit to the comics. Uh, they all realized how difficult and crazy it was to do it, um, to, you know, risk failure in front of a live audience. And they did it anyway. So it didn't take too much convincing because some comics realize it's kind of, it's kind of like convincing your friends to go bungee jumping. Like the, you'll have friends that'll go, Oh no, I'm never doing that. I'm ne no way. And, and they, mm, some of them you might talk into some of them you won't, but most people go, Oh yeah, that's, that's an adrenaline rush. And that's yeah. kind of what the show is, is you are backed against a wall and then you find this strength inside your, your, your inner comic overcome maybe that overcomes it comes out a strength you didn't know you had that kind of was designed to do so um so it didn't take a ton of convincing i mean most of the time it was people beating down our door to do the show okay know? the opposite robin, robin williams would come in he would just drop in unannounced and say hey you got you got a list for me would be like, oh yeah, I think we can make that work. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's one of those things that just uh, comics connected to. Well, Robin Williams is one of the ones who seems like a natural at, at that setup. But uh, I mean, because you're, you're risking failing in front of comedian or in front of an audience rather anytime you're doing comedy, but this really does take it to a higher octane, you know? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, it does. Yeah. You're risking failure, but you're risking failure with your own material. I would argue that you, um, I would argue that, that maybe failure can be harder with your own material. I mean, at least mm. if you fail, you have an excuse, you were given the weirdest nonsense topic. And I think comics sort of understood that, but most of the time they came out victorious. Yeah. Well, that was what I was going to ask. Was there anyone who really, really, really bombed when you were filming it? That couldn't be shown uh, in the show sort of thing? Well, no, no. I mean, we've certainly people have bombed on the show. Um, but we, what that's interesting, we have people bomb and then it's just them figuring out that they have to embrace it and let go. Mm. And then they come back a second time and crush it. Now, oh, that cool. happened almost every time. We had a guy one time who quit um, mid. Oh, God, this was great. He quit mid show. He was he just didn't get it. He goes, you know what? I'm, I'm done. And he came in and he sat down in the audience and I said, okay, well, if you want to come back up and do another set, he goes, no, I'm never doing this, but I'll watch it. So he watched it. Two, two more comics went up and he goes, Hey, can I go next? Oh, right on. And he came up and crushed it. Um, and so that was a common thing that happened. Um, so for the TV show, uh, I do remember that we did two tapings. We did a, or like a, Oh, it was crazy. This was in the UK. The, the UK show specifically, we did like a 5.30, which is insane. We did like a 5.30 and an 8 o'clock or something like that. And I remember that consistently, 
every single 5.30 p.m. audience was absolutely horrific. Like, it, and you can say in comedy, like, it's never the audience. And, you know, that's a good attitude to have. But guess what? It was 100% scientifically the audience hmm. because it was the same comics on the next show with different topics, but still same level of challenges and weirdness and all that. And they all crushed it the second show. The first show, they kind of crushed it, but there was no audience to receive it. So it sounded like they didn't crush. So Here. sometimes there are, and you'll find that it can, it shows it happen at five o'clock in the afternoon. I wonder why, like just because like rush hour and end of the work day kind of thing or? People aren't drinking. People aren't yeah, that's ready for, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, it's like TV tapings are like that too. Um, you have to have a good audience, warm up, all that stuff. And all, all I remember is they were cold and they were very uptight and it was consistent. <laughs> so anyway, um, but the show, you know, as long as there's an audience that's supporting the comics that, uh, that get it, it goes well. I would have loved to see one live. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll make that happen eventually. Uh, and you know we did we did Montreal quite a few times. Oh, nice! That's only like two hours from here, so. Oh, nice! Yeah, maybe we'll do that again. But for now, um, you know that show is still going on the back burner. I'm focused on photography right now, and and um, a lot of uh, fun projects within that umbrella. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of your work. It's just oh man, it's all fantastic. But I, I've been noticing some recent stuff you did with Stevo, which was really really cool for Inked Magazine. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's a great story of Steve-O. This is my first time. I mean, I'd shot him at the comedy store before and he's such a great guy. And I, um, I briefly met him before. It was my first time really like hanging out with him. And, uh, that was an insanely, insanely challenging shoot because uh, we are up against for Inc. Magazine, we're up against a deadline and the shoot, the only day he was available was Memorial day. So we had to do, and the, the, my editor, he goes, Hey, I want it. Uh, he goes, I want the shoot to be like outdoors, something at the beach because it's our summer issue. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to take a big celebrity that every bro in the world goes crazy for when they see him, um, and get him on the beach on Memorial day, like the busiest beach day, like busier than 4th of July. So we're going to do that uh and uh and so i had to find a location and i did i found a location outdoors that was you know that worked that was kind of hidden by the hollywood bull we got it done only one person found us oh really it worked out that is impressive and it it was super fun i you know i tell him i go hey here's my idea (laughs) i go i want you to sit on this barbecue grill i'm going to put a smoke grenade in there and you're gonna um you're gonna be like you're roasting and he goes i love that idea (laughs) i think he's up for pretty much anything yeah yeah um originally we're gonna do something with dynamite um with fake dynamite on the beach and it it was like there's no way we could do that so and plus you can't use real dynamite he didn't want to do it yeah you don't accidentally kill one of those bros yeah, no, he would he would have rather done it with real dynamite than I believe every bit of that. 
then do fake dynamite. So it's like, well, it's fake dynamite, you know? Uh, and that smoke grenade almost did fry him. Like his jeans almost caught him. <laughs> it, was, it was really hot. I'm sure he's burned his nutsack a couple of times already. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's Charbro. So <laughs> I think that, uh, that like, he's such a good guy. He made that shoot so fun. Um, and yeah, that was the cover of, uh, that was the cover of Inks. I don't remember. I think it was, well, it was right during the pandemic. So that was 2020 summer. Oh, okay. I saw it posted on your Facebook from, I guess, just recently in July or something. I thought maybe, maybe it did. I have, yeah, I might've uh, posted. I did. I probably posted another, um, like a happy birthday or something to him or yeah. Like reshare. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, such a good dude. Yeah. He seems like such a great guy and it's really, really inspiring to see how far he's come from his heyday of debauchery. <laughs> you know, the sobriety oh, yeah. is a good look on him. Yeah, totally. Such a good guy. And I'm, I'm really fortunate to work with good people. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, circling back to set list just for a second, because there's a couple of things I want to touch on. One being that um, you guys recorded it in Meltdown Comics. We uh, that was one of the places we did the show early. We did a residency there uh, okay. for uh, a number of years. Because I've never been there. Uh, I, I was under the impression it was just a comic book store. But now learning that it was like comedy and comics is kind of like. Well, I mean, look at my studio, right? That's uh... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, so Meltdown Comics was a comic book store, but it had a space in the back. They turned into a theater. Chris Hardwick is responsible for that. Nerdist, yeah. And yeah, and so Chris Hardwick turned into a theater, and then we um, we did the show there. It's, it was one of my favorite venues ever. Still, so bummed it closed, but um, but that was also the site where um, the Meltdown show with uh, with Jonah Ray and Kumail Nanjiani. Okay. They were the longest running show there next to us. Uh, I mean, sorry, they were the longest running show there, and we were the, the second longest running show. I think Pete and, Holmes did uh, some podcasts in there too, if I'm not mistaken. They had an upstairs little podcast thing, yeah. Pete okay. Podcast. Yeah, and um, it was uh, it was just an amazing. Yeah, Dan Harmon did. Everybody did their show there. It was an amazing place, and it was a blend of like you had alternative comics come in, you had regular comics come in, like club comics come in, you know. It was it was an amazing uh, place, and you know, it's gone. But there's lots of great places. Yeah, what a bummer! I saw that it closed in like 2018 or sometime before the pandemic. What, uh, I really would have loved yeah. to go check it out, but yeah, hopefully something new like that will pop up again. Uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on was that you also did prompted, which is kind of similar to set list, but with a, a bit of a different premise. Yeah, so um, it's a little known secret. So prompter was my oh, prompter, my bad. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was bad idea TED talks that were improvised from a teleprompter that keeps breaking. So instead of just reading from the teleprompter, suddenly the teleprompter either goes out or something weird comes on the screen, or there's a graph with no labels and you're having to sort of describe all these things. And uh, that was such a fun show, and um, we tried to sell it for TV and this is kind of funny uh it got bought by quibi and it was a we we shot it and it was about to air and then quibi went out of business so they sold all their content to roku and uh, the show just came out on roku i think like two months ago i'm and these are a good people very american uh, platforms that i've heard of but i'm not familiar with i know okay. they're very short oh, form right. 
Short form, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Quibi was supposed to be a short form site. That was um, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg's network, mm. and uh, he uh, he loved the show, and uh, we had a blast. Like they were really good to us, um, you know. And it's made for you know, it's like I think it's like a six minute episode. I forget something like that between six and ten minutes, and uh, it turned out mostly great. Like some of, some of it was, uh, was like, uh, the network kind of played, not the network, but the production company played with it maybe a little much, but, um, but for the most part, they stayed true to the show and it was, it was awesome. And, and, uh, if anybody wants to watch a couple great episodes, um, Kristen Shaw, Jimmy O. Yang come to mind. Um, uh, they were, they were really great episodes. Um, for prompter oh but they call, oh sorry they don't call it prompter on the show they call oh, it they changed the name they called it q talks oh okay it was supposed to be for quibi talks um and so now it's on roku as q talks and people probably think it's uh it's sh a show by q <laughs> so that'll be that'll be fun for them to figure that out yeah i hope i can check that out sometime soon uh yeah. i don't know if i can get roku up here mind you but Right. Uh, yeah. Who knows how these things are? Well, hopefully yeah, I can. It's, it's all buried now. Yeah. Um, but we keep on, uh, we keep on going. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad it's out there for people to see. Definitely. Um, well, everyone knows your iconic, uh, comedy store hallway, black and white photos. So I wanted to ask you, what was your first, I, I didn't want to ask you your best memory from the comedy store. Cause I imagine that would be impossible to answer. So I just want to know what was your first memory with the comedy store, whether it was going there or just learning about it or. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a, a good, uh, I'll tell you my early memory from the comedy store, which is um, I showed up there to shoot roast battle because of Paul Provenza. He goes, you got to see this show. But the interesting thing was um, they did not like that I was taking pictures. Pictures are not allowed at the comedy store. Um, but I knew in my heart that roast battle had to be captured. So I, I did it. Um, but when I would go out in the hallway or somewhere else and take pictures, it was like, hey, no pictures. People, some of the comics that I didn't know uh, were not happy about it. They're like, you're messing up this place. And, you know, it was, it was not, it, it was very uncomfortable for me, let's say. Mm. And, uh, and then people eventually did warm up to, um, to having me there. And now, you know, and now photography is more of a thing in comedy. When I was doing it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a thing, you know, and, uh, I'm just really happy that now there's a lot of comedy photographers and, there's a lot of coverage at the clubs and I think even uh, around the country, people are, you know, I get messages from people and they, Hey, I'm in Michigan. I'm, I'm shooting at this club. And you know, it's really cool to see that. I think there's some people who are still weird about it. Cause I know I've been to shows where someone's setting a, a camera up and someone else is like worried that they're going to, you know, steal their jokes or record their set. And you know, no one's actually doing that ever, but Right. I mean, look, if you see a video camera in a, I would worry too, if I saw a video camera in a club that wasn't mine, and I'm doing a set. Yeah, that's a, that's legit. Cause that did that kind of thing. You wondered that used to happen, you know, people would bring in video and try and video shows. 
Uh, sometimes you just that, want a clip to show your your you know fans or your friends or whatever. Yes. Yeah, I know, but it's it's so out of control, and you just don't know people's motives. So it's yeah, it looks better. suspect. Yeah. Yeah, it's better to just say yeah. Let's have let's have a let's have a no video rule. But I um I uh I I've been lucky and fortunate to be busy in this in this comedy photography world and uh you know i still get like once a week usually i get to shoot at at a club um you know the improv once in a while a comedy store uh comedy store has great coverage now uh they got this guy van corona who's uh who's really great oh they've got a different um, guy doing it on the regular okay yeah yeah they've got a, a, a full-time guy uh and uh and then they have liz vig there and look it's uh it's it's really great. They have good coverage there. And, and, um, that's a special place. The improv is a special place. And the fact that they're having most of their shows shot is really, I think in the end, great. Cause we'll look back and we'll go, Oh my God, I'm glad we have this. We look now and go, why aren't there more pictures? People ask me all the time. Why aren't there more pictures of Norm McDonald doing stand up? Cause nobody took pictures. Yeah. You know, it was bad form back then. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't even really know that, but it's it kind of makes sense. It would take people a while to get used to that kind of thing. And now, thankfully, people are embracing it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, did yeah. you have to learn a lot of interesting techniques to shoot in low lighting areas like a comedy club or most comedy clubs? Yeah, that's a great question. That was everything. Um, so uh, you could argue that the hardest thing to shoot would be stand up um, because or I would say actually even you know, live, um, I, stand up is actually really hard because it's very low light. It's designed to be low light. So the hardest thing to shoot is action in low light. Mm. Those two things don't mix. Um, you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. So to do that, which is what stand up is, you're, you have to really know how to use your camera in manual mode and you have to really know lenses and you have to know how to use those lenses. Hmm. So um, there's a lot of, it was for me, I, I just, it was school of hard knocks. I just, you know, I did it and I would fail. I would do it again. It's trial and error. Better and fail. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, and then I was also using gear that wasn't really designed for that and still getting passable shots. But, um, you know, what you, it, it's kind of like drag racing in, you know, like Ford Fiesta or something like you, yeah, it's a car, but it's not going to do the job. Yeah. Wow. Really cool, man. Um, I wanted to talk to you. This is sort of just an open-ended question, but you being the photographer for the good for you podcast, I just want to ask if Whitney Cummings is like as fun to hang out with as she seems to be. She's even more fun even to hang more. out with than she seems like it's, it's actually amazing. I just, sometimes I, I stop and I go, I can't believe I'm having this much fun. And I, That's I awesome. love and adore Whitney. She's such an incredible, incredible human being. She is so full of joy. So I, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I've had so many adventures where we've done shoots and uh, one time, we were doing some event and she said, Oh, we're going to take a bus. She goes, or she said, I have a shuttle coming to take us there, but it was like a party bus. And it was just like 
six or seven of us on. I think there's like six of us on a. You mean like a limo yeah. bus kind of thing, or? No, like a uh, tour bus. Oh, okay. Like okay. It, was, it was a tour bus, but um, it just was like all bench seating, and it was like looked like a nice modern New York City apartment inside. Oh wow! And um, you know, stuff like that. She uh, she is just an incredible. It, look, the people that I've worked with uh, a lot, like Whit- Whitney, um, Burt Kreischer. And most of all fluffy that's who i've worked for the most because mm. i just spent you know eight or nine months on tour with them and that just wrapped up like um like two months ago so um yeah it's uh it's definitely you know an amazing he seems uh, like such a sweet guy too yeah yeah it's and you know i get to see these guys behind the scenes and yeah they, they are who they are that's why they make it yeah they're being real you're yeah, if you're one person on stage and one person off, okay, people do that, but it's not the same. They don't. I don't think those people go as as far. Like if you, like um, Gilbert Gottfried was a guy I worked with a lot, and sure he has a character on stage, but he's still he's still Gilbert. Yeah. When he's just it's just an know, exaggerated I, version of himself. An exaggerated version of himself, you know. Hmm. Well, um, speaking yeah, of Whitney, I'm, oh, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, man. No, I was just going to say, speaking no, no, of Whitney, you are uh, also a big animal lover. I've I've heard and read, and that you you work with adoption and pit bulls specifically. Well, uh, or you have no, no. I just have had uh, pit bulls. I had um, I had two pit bulls over the course of almost twenty years, um, and that and I don't anymore. But I I got um, I basically got. Uh, uh, I fell into an accidental adoption. Oh, okay. To deliver. Uh, my friend said, can you deliver this dog to this person? And I went to go meet the person and she is, you know, just a stranger. Uh, and then she goes, oh, I changed my mind. And so I go, well, I'm a delivery guy. So, you know, if this is a pizza, that'd be no problem, but this is a dog. And, um, I, so I looked like I was running an adoption agency because I was trying to get this dog adopted and I mm. keep posting, Hey, who wants to be, who, who would like to foster or adopt this dog? And nobody did. And so I, there were a couple of people that, you know, that were interested in everything. And so I think they had a term for, for what happened to me. It's called a foster fail. <laughs> Except I wasn't even fostering. I was a delivery guy. So I ended up keeping this dog. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, so I'm, I'm not, um, actively involved in, in adoption except for that. But you are an animal lover, at least I think that much is true. Yeah. I, yeah. You could say I'm a really big animal lover and, uh, I, yeah, especially dogs, but yeah, I'm a big animal lover. Yeah. Your, your dog Neo is adorable. Uh, I know it sounds like yeah. he's passed since, but, uh, a matrix reference, I'm guessing. That way he was named, yeah, because, yeah, he was named after Matrix. He's the one. Oh, okay. Uh, that dog was to be 17 years old. Wow. And, uh, That's and amazing. And good health the, the entire time. Yeah. So, you can't ask uh, for more than that with animals or a dog. Yeah, I know. So that uh, is a very special dog. And I, um, I wrote posts about him going to outer space, like, when he died. Like, it was just a way of uh, dealing with it for me. Mm. So that he did die. He was sent. He was sent by NASA as the first dog to go into deep space. 
And, uh, and I posted a, a bunch of posts about that. And like, I had friends who would like Photoshop, you know, scenarios where he's in space. And because sometimes their Photoshop's really good, a friend of mine was hanging out with me one time and she goes, man, she goes, I can't believe I know someone whose dog is in space <laughs> right now. And I started laughing. That's so and, funny. Uh, and she goes, no, she goes, that's, that's amazing. And it just made me laugh harder. And I go, no, I go, that's, uh, well, it's, it's true if you want it to be true. <laughs> yeah. Why burst that bubble? <laughs> yeah. Right. I was about to tell her, I'm like, you know what? It's all good. Yeah. And really, honestly, dogs are such amazing creatures, but it fucking sucks when you lose one. Like, uh, we had a dog pass away about a year and a half ago, almost two years now. And, uh, we actually, our current dog that was sort of the replacement, that's a horrible word to use, but for lack of a better term, um, and she's half pit bull, half Husky. And she is the most insane dog I've ever met. Just so strong, so fast, you know, she's getting better, but Um, it's been a challenge to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. They can be a challenge for sure. So besides dogs, though, I love asking people this question. Do you have a favorite animal or one that you feel represents you, like your spirit animal, so to speak? Um, my Pitbull Neo specifically was my spirit animal and, you know, and uh, still is. Yeah. Oh, okay. But outside I mean, of dogs. As far as like a general. Outside, oh, I, oh, sorry. You said outside of dogs. I would say a horse. Okay. Any particular reason why? Um, they're, uh, they're fast and they run free. Well, assuming they're, they're wild horses. They're wild horses. So I should have said, I should have clarified wild horse. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wild horse. I mean, I'm fascinated with wild horses. I'm fascinated with the old West. Mm. I'm fascinated when I drive, when I drive across the country, I, I look out and I go, where were the cover? Like, this is where covered wagons had to go. They had to go across these mountains and just, you just like, think about that stuff and think just the brush, just the brush alone. Let's pretend it was all flat, no mountains trying to get through. Remember when you're a kid and like you're, you go through sticker bushes and you get all cut up. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that for like 3000 miles. Good like, Lord. That's a lot of, that's a lot of the old one, not all three, but I'm saying like, like so many, so such harsh terrain. So I'm fascinated with, with that and how horses got through that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, so that's, that's my, that, that would be my. No, that was a great answer. Day. Great description as to why you chose that as well. Um, I was just vaping some weed, which leads me to my next question, which is, uh, I listened to you on Todd Glass's podcast where you took an edible beforehand. So I wanted to know if you were still a cannabis user. And I also wanted to ask you if you think that it is something that helps you with your artistic process or something that hinders you and and you find it hard to focus. So I, well, first of all, I always find it hard to focus. Um, (laughs) but I'm not a cannabis user. Um, I forgot. I don't remember doing that on the show, but I did that show, um, you know, so many times back in the day. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like something I would do multiple times back then. Um, but, uh, no, you know what? I just, I think I just got to a point where, um, I, uh, just wasn't interested anymore. And, um, so now I'm a, uh, more of like, a maybe once or twice a year person. Oh, so you're still, um, occasionally partake 
Sure. Yeah. But, uh, but, um, yeah. So once or twice a year is what I'm up to now. Um, but it, it doesn't, I don't know. It, in my thirties, I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I just find it interesting because some people will say, you know, if they smoke weed, then they're, they play a little better on the guitar or maybe they come up with more oh, okay. uh, interesting so jokes can, or that kind of thing, you know? So I can answer that. Yeah. So, so, um, I will say that, um, you know, George Carlin had a great line about how you write your jokes sober and you, he would say, write his jokes sober and, and punch them up after he got high. Mm. And I actually think that's a good idea because it's almost like you're, it's two people now working two parts of the brain working the same jokes. That's fascinating. So, yeah. So I, I think that's uh, there's a value in that. Yeah, no, I never really thought about that because you get your premises all set up and then you kind of let your little inner child come out and play with them a bit and then see what sticks. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah. And as far as like my comedy at that time, I don't remember if, uh, I do, just, I don't remember if it was helpful, how much I did and all that stuff, like helpful for writing. But, um, I do think there's a value in, you know, in writing it sober and having a different perspective, whatever that is. You know, I didn't even know if maybe it was going to be something you did when you were doing photography at some point in your career. Like, oh, yeah, you just look at the world a little differently as far as, uh, you know, what you want to approach. So I shot a, um, I shot a lot of um, uh, EDM, electric dance music festivals, where everybody's on different drugs. And I mean everybody. Um, and so I did shoot on mushrooms. And I will say it was definitely... An enhancement, mm. um, especially well for a music festival where people are, you know, kind of in the dark wearing glowy things. Yeah, that's you know, that's maybe fish in a barrel if you know how to use a camera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know how to you know use the right settings. But um, I will say that one time at the comedy store, and this would have been like five years ago, um, Joe Rogan was in the back, and he was just talking about this exact conversation about how pot can enhance situations or whatever. And, and I thought, all right, you know what? I'll try it. I'll, I'll take, I'll take a hit and, and shoot that night. And I remember consciously going, Oh, this actually, uh, this actually helped in some things, you know, Ooh. But the problem is the focus, like it doesn't help my memory. So, um, and I need to, I need to keep my, I need to keep my memory and my, um, my patterns of shooting secure so that I don't miss certain shots. But it did help me see things. I see uh, possibilities I didn't see. Hmm. That's really interesting. And the EDM, the EDM shroom thing is, uh, something that I find even more interesting because I know in my experience with uh, that substance in the past, you'll think you figured out like, you know, the best poem ever or whatever it is that you've scribbled down. And then the next day you try to comprehend it and it's just, you know, intelligible. Yeah. So with photography, you look at the next day and you see the photos. And I remember, I mean, I wish I could put them on the screen here, but I, I don't know how to do that. It would take forever to if find you them, email but... them to me. I can throw them up in post if you have them. Oh, okay. Yet. Yeah. Um, so I looked at the pictures and I was like, wow, this is definitely cool. Like it was 
it, it was exciting that night, but the, you know, the next day I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And it, it so what it did is it enhanced my ability to communicate with people. Mm. Um, you know, when you're, I think when you're under the influence of stuff, it could be alcohol too, you know, like when you're under the influence, it's easier to talk to people maybe. And I just remember like, I I just became a director. Uh, my, my, my director hat on. So I was like going up to random strangers, you stand over here. And I want you over here to walk in. Like I was arranging these scenarios and people are like, what the hell is this guy? All right. And I'd show them a picture and then they were like, okay, listen to this guy. Tell him, tell him, tell him what to do. And they started bringing friends up. So it became a thing. And, uh, and that was thanks to mushrooms, which I think is, by the way, um, again, I, I don't think of, I didn't say this the first time. I don't think of mushrooms as much of a drug as I do, um, a plant that offers a chance to see yourself, um, in a different way, which is good. And, and I usually a positive way mm-hmm. so allows you to see, um, to see yourself and others who they really are and see your full potential. And, um, so that's why I don't think of it as a drug. And I don't think it's a, um, it should be really a party drug. And I, I think it's a bad use for it. Yeah. I think it's, uh, good for to be alone in the desert or to be with, a couple of close friends in the desert um, and have an experience that you get to keep forever. Yeah, um, no, I agree fully. Well, I mean, I understand why people at a young age use it as a party drug, but um, it's so much deeper than that, you know? And, and honestly, I, I think it's something that everyone should really try because it's just a strange, but amazing experience, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think most people should try it. Um, Within reason, uh, I suppose everybody's different, but like I, I'm a yeah. fan of the psychedelic renaissance, as they call it, that's happening right now because I think some of the things like like cyber, psilocybin is that what it is? Silo, I always mix that yeah. up. Psilocybin. psilocybin. Uh, it was kind of thrown in with all these other horrible, like hardcore narcotics, just during like the Reagan era, I assume, and all that you know, war on drugs and all that. Yeah. And instead of actually looking at things case by case and going, well, no, no, let's let's keep doing experiments with this one, which thankfully they've done over the last 10, 20 years in a big way to sort of usher this new phase in. But uh, yeah, it really bums me out that for so many years, it was this contraband, horrible thing. And now people are finally starting to clue in, you know? Yeah. I mean, we'll just see that more and more because now, now we, you know, it's been approved for federal funding and U S clinical trials. So it's totally seen a different way already. And, you know, it's already being, um, used for PTSD with, uh, with veterans. So we'll see it kind of, uh, come out a little more and, uh, and probably five years from now, let's see, it's August, 2022. So August, 2027, we'll, we'll probably have a nasal spray and, uh, some kind of, you know, some other spray or patch, like like a mushroom patch. I think I understand the, the hesitations and the fear in, in the past because everything you're, you're saying sounds great if in five years it's much more accessible and, and the research is there. And, but I still don't want someone being like, oh, I keep hearing about these mushrooms and then getting on the freeway or something. You know, like there are there is a risk factor there for people taking it and maybe totally. maybe making horrible decisions because it's their first time. Or... Totally true. 
yeah, no, it's not meant. It shouldn't be teenagers. Yeah, it should be supervised, I guess is what I'm saying. In the first experience you're having, maybe some sort of a uh, monitored experience where, you know, you can be sort of ushered into that. That's what they do in the trials. Um, Yeah, that's a good idea for sure. Oh, and that's like Um, ayahuasca. Right. And overall that, um, yeah, certain things can help with certain perspectives, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But speaking to what you were saying really about how it should be treated with the respect that it deserves. And I think a lot of other cultures have done that with things like ayahuasca and DMT and all that. But I do think that shrooms is another one that sort of falls into that category. Like you were saying, it's not, let's go get fucked up on shrooms. It's like, I, I want to have an inward experience and really figure something out about myself or about life or about spirituality or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Which, absolutely. which leads me to my next question. Um, with the comedy Jesus show, uh, there was sort of a synopsis I read that said you used to be a door to door Bible salesman turned atheist. Is that true? Yeah, uh, that was. Yeah. I, so I because um, that's a I big shift. Bibles. Uh, yeah. Well, I sold Bibles and encyclopedia supplements to um, in, in Kentucky door to door. I worked for the world's largest Bible publishing company. And um, uh, that was just a summer. But oh, so you weren't super religious. Uh, when I was younger, I was super religious, and then, um, and so then in college, as people often do, uh, I got well, no, I, I'd say after college, many years after college, I started to become more questioning, and I, I was agnostic, and then I, I got asked to do to perform at an atheist uh, uh, convention, a big one. Was, I think it was American Atheist was the first one. Hmm. And I even said to the director, hey, just so you know, I'm not an atheist. So I'm just telling you that in case you don't want to have me. And she goes, no. She goes, these people uh, that, that you'll meet are hardcore atheists, but you know, we accept everybody's fine. So I did it. And then I, you know, that was my introduction to, um, you know, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, Ion Hersey Ali, and it all blew me away. And I became an atheist. And now I would say uh, I've moderated a lot. Like I don't, I'm not into, I, I was, you know, an atheist activist. And that's what, that was my life for a long time. Oh, wow. But now, yeah, but now, um, I, I'm uh, more of a utilitarian, um, you know, deist or uh, I'm, a lot, I'm a lot of things now, but I, I'm, I wouldn't say my identity is still, well, I wouldn't say my identity is an atheist, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I had no and, idea that you yeah, were so that's, a, that's a whole other podcast, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had incredible experiences with people and, you know, um, getting to be getting this like, to perform and speak. Sometimes I just, they just have me do um, talks at some of these conferences with those people I mentioned. And it was pretty incredible. And I, I mean, certainly I knew it at the time, but I didn't know how, how big of a deal it would be later to like, you know, hang out with Christopher Hitchens and like, you know, that was quite an experience. Um, And that's, that's one of those people I miss all the time. It's like, he's like Patrice O'Neill, George Cotton. Like you miss that 
that, that perspective and that level of wisdom and that outspokenness. So. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. Um, I was actually going to ask you because I saw an interview where you said you, you always want to be an agent of evolution and playing off that. I wanted to ask you since that interview in 2012, so 10 years ago, how have you evolved the most? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, the photography have, stuff, uh, I, I guess is a, a given, but. Well, I mean, in, in a way it's funny cause I just, um, uh, just talked about, um, you know, for me, it is an evolution, but you know, I evolved into an atheist and then I evolved into like I'm, I'm more than that even. Um, so for me, part of, um, part of evolution, I think for me anyway, and I think for probably for a lot of people, if they choose to accept this part of evolution is, is being agnostic about everything. When you have wonder, when you wake up with wonder and you wake up with not knowing your life is, it has the potential to be extraordinary because you're always learning and you're not, um, you're not set in, I already know this is true. When you don't know, you learn a lot more. Yeah. So I've made it, I've made it my business to be agnostic about as much as possible in my life. That's a great attitude to have. I think that it's very applicable to stand up comedy too. You know, knowing that you're going to fail and you're going to keep learning and keep evolving. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so that's a big part of it. Well, yeah, I'm wishing I mean, you the best in your journey back to stand up, man. Thanks very much. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't get, don't get to do it a ton, but, um, when I do, I'm really, really enjoying it. So I, I appreciate that. Well, that's why I'm kind of amazed to hear that you've taken a 10 year hiatus. I understand of course, with how busy you were with photography, but seeing the stuff that I've seen, like the, the comedy Jesus, for example, you were such an immersive interactive performer that it, I find it hard to believe you could put it on the shelf for that long and not have it kind of eaten away at you a bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially when I had, you know, I, if I, I think about this sometimes, I, I don't, I don't have any regrets in life, but I do think about if I would have stayed on YouTube, cause I was really, um, I was getting a lot of followers on YouTube earlier, way early on. And now look at all the people that were at my level when I quit and they're all, you know, they're all making like a million dollars a year from YouTube. And so, uh, I think, gosh, I, I, if I would have stayed on that path, but I don't regret that at all because that's the path I was on. And I, I, you know, I don't do what I do for money. I do it for the love of the game. And I certainly want to make as much money as possible, but that's not what drives me as my main motivator. Um, so because I don't want to ever have to retire, I want to work until I die. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think that probably is. No, that's a cool, what you just said about how you want to work until, uh, you know, the day you die, because a lot of time people retire and then they die not that long after it's like the, you know, they stop the momentum and their body realizes and just shuts it down, you know? Yeah. It's like having that goal. It's, it's, it's without, without an objective, you know, you can't have a movie, you can't have a play 
and you can't have a, a very rewarding life. I guess that's why people take up golf when they retire because they always have a goal get to the yeah. next hole. Something to chase. But it, it's not the same, I don't think. I don't think it's the same because um, it's no big deal when you fail at golf. Mm. Um, so if you're playing professionally, then now there's something at stake that's different. Well, in golf, you're not but, creating anything new as well. That's a big part that of it, is I think. True. That's true. You're not creating it. That's a really good point. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's putting yourself out there when you can create and fail, create and fail. That's yeah. what it's all about. That's beautiful, man. Uh, I'll just, I don't want to take too much of your time. I'll ask you the uh, season three question I've been asking everybody this year, which is uh, if you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what would be your dream job? And, or alternatively, what was your dream job when you were a little kid? When I was a little kid, my dream job was to be an ice cream man. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Must've been pretty young. We're talking here then. Yeah. I remember being a kid and getting ice cream and going from an ice cream truck. And I went, wow, this is the perfect job. This you is get the to life. Drive around. You get to drive around and just make people happy and give them something awesome. Now, I'm totally against the idea of an ice cream man now because uh, sugar is terrible for you. But, but I, I can't I imagine they make tons of money either. No, I will. But again, you love the game. Uh, yeah. that, when I was a kid, ice cream man. And um, you know, as far as um, as far, let me let me try and answer that question with with um, imagination. You you asked me what would be my dream job if I didn't. If it wasn't what I'm doing. Like now, if cameras didn't exist tomorrow and you couldn't be a photographer. Got it. Got it. Uh, oh, and I couldn't be a photographer. Well, let's, let's say even like a, a photographer or a stand up or a show creator or any of the other things I do. Let's, okay. Uh, fair. Let me try and. Yeah. Something totally um, out of your wheelhouse that maybe you've always felt a calling towards, but never, uh, you know, acted upon. I mean, ice cream man was already uh, a great a answer. Truck, so. a truck, right. A truck driver, uh, like a 18 wheeler truck driver, maybe, or a, uh, um, an excavator oh, ru cool. running, uh, an excavator. Yeah. It's gotta be satisfying. Um, yeah. Or maybe a forest ranger. So I'll give you three answers. <laughs> Those are all great, man. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I'm going to add in motorcycle, uh, uh, long distance enduro motocross riding. Oh, I thought you were going to say like an evil Knievel type thing, but that's cool too. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> not the day. This would be like a less dangerous version of it. Man, thank you so yeah, much for sharing hello. all these uh cool answers thanks, and stories with me, dude. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a good time. Yeah, I know Zoom is always a bit of a pain in the ass. I always feel like I'm talking over people and shit, but nevertheless, I still had a great time chilling with you, man. Yeah, no, this is great. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, Oliver. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your day, dude. All right. Later on. Thanks again for having me. For sure, man. Anytime. Peace out. All right. Peace out.